I'm Kim Grinnells of Dogman.com with National Recruiting Analyst for 24-7 Sports, Brandon Huffman. Top 24-7, released earlier this week. We had a chance to go out to Ford Sports on uh, Wednesday night. Some of the top guys in-state participate in a little bit of a workout. But, uh, you know, Brandon, big news. So 24-7 re-rankings came out. And I want to, you know, give people first just a little bit of an understanding of how things work. So probably the biggest thing in the transparency is you know, people think that guys drop, but, you know, there could be a case being made where guys didn't necessarily drop, that other guys rose. You know, talk to me a little bit about that. So you, you have a time frame when the last rankings were done for the 2021 class being in, you know, July, August-ish. So, you know, you're, you're looking at a full season, a few off-season events, but you're looking at about a six-month span or so before the last when the last time the 2021 class is what was updated so the other thing to keep in mind too is junior year is really the breakout season so you have a lot of cases where guys start on varsity as a freshman we were able to come up with the top 100 then you have the updated 2021 top 247 because more guys are playing varsity but it's really that junior year where the light bulb comes on for a lot of guys so naturally you have guys that a year ago were relative unknowns maybe they backed up senior starters maybe they were at different schools and different situations and over the course of their junior year they've now started to ascend and started to flourish well naturally you're going to have some guys that are newcomers into the top 247 into the top 100 top 50 top 25 so when guys move down it's not so many times because of what they were rated because we don't think that they're good it's there's other guys that we liked more that were now finally getting a first true context to see them. And, you know, you, you look at the percentages. Let's say you were number seven when we only had 400 guys rated. Now you're 20th and we have 1,000 guys rated. You're actually going up percentage-wise because now there's more guys that you're at the higher level than. I'm not good at math, but I'm pretty sure that's how the math works. Um, you know, so there was a lot of guys that, like in the case of Sam Heward, he went from a 97, you know, it was a 96 then in the spring went to a 97. This is last year. Then he went down to 96. I mean, he only dropped the point. He had a good season, another really good season for Sam. Still was high on the interception rates, and, and that's the only real concern. Part of that's because he throws the ball so much. But, you know, you, you take in a lot of things into account, and he's still the number one pro-style quarterback. But there's other guys that we just finally got that first real chance to see them take their game to the next level and it's almost a curse if you will of being ranked early it just means that there's more guys that aren't ranked that have a chance to now get that initial rating so when guys go down it's never it's not nefarious it's there's other guys that are now making their debut moving up you do this every day you do it every year you've been doing it for a long time you know maybe explain to people how things work because you know, the um, our corporate office is back in Tennessee, back in SEC country, and most of the recruits, when you take a look at a population map, the East Coast, it just has so many more people. So naturally, there's going to be so many more football players, and football is a lot bigger back in that area of the country. But a guy like JT Tuomalau, the guys back in the SEC country, they probably never even heard of him. You couldn't get any further away. How does a guy like... Um, you know, JT to him allow wind up as the top player in the country. Well, there, there's a couple things in JT's case. One is he's got terrific film and he's had terrific film since he was a freshman Two, you know, he's a multi-sport player who's averaging, you know, almost a double, a double playing on a really good basketball team that beat the number three team in the country in which he had a double, double 
in hoops. So you've got the the athletic traits that the number one guy. You have that film as a freshman that show you know this is a guy who's got next level ability, and then even further than that, you know, NFL level ability. And he was as a freshman, but then more importantly, he keeps staying number one. And the one thing that if you if there's anything that's hurting JT to an extent is other than seven on seven in which he plays tight end. He hasn't done many national events, national showcases, because he's very serious about basketball. He's an AAU hooper. So you don't necessarily get to see him in the best environment for his ability as a pass rusher, as a guy who's going to get to the quarterback like you do during the season. So that's what's even been more remarkable. He's held on to the number one spot. Despite not going to many camps, not, despite not going to any national events, but that athleticism is there. The film in the in the fall has always been there. You know, when he had the five sack game in the Geico State Championship Bowl game a year ago, that helped. It was funny listening to ESPN say, "Oh, he could potentially be a top 100 guy." I'm like, "Well, you know, some sites already had a number one guys, uh, but he played west of the Mississippi, so it's easy for him to be ignored." Um, but then you you know you look at this year. He has the game against Tosh Baker, who's the top off of the tackle out west, and really wins that one-on-one battle. So he's made it happen on the field. And you see a guy who's 6'5", 275 during the season, can get down to 255 during hoops. He can move around like, you know, he's 230, 225. And he just has the film to back it up. Now it's a matter of him staying in that spot. You know, Brian Brissett almost went wire to wire as the number one guy before ultimately DJ uh, Uyangalele and Bryce Young moved ahead of him. But, you know, JT has done it really without the advantage of going to camps and dominating. He's pretty much limited it just to on the field during the season, which is still where the majority of these evaluations are coming from. Tell people how it works a little bit, because I'm sure it's not just Brandon Huffman saying, hey, I got the number one guy in the country up here and them saying, "Okay," you know, tell people how that consensus, you know, and not even just the number one, but just in general, how that consensus works in the rankings and how you determine that. Is it a conference call? Do you guys all meet in Vegas at a bar, Uh, coffee, shots? What what happens? We drink the shots after the rankings come out and we have to deal with obnoxious emails and message board posts. So the shots are after the process. Because my son is ranked at. 667 and he beat the guy that was rated at number 530 right despite them playing the exact same position and never matching up on the field (laughs) my son's team beat beat his team so my son should be better because i'm like oh yeah that's how the draft works you know i mean i always look back and you know historically i always try to remember when did the quarterback actually play the other quarterback on the field at the same time for that to have any validity to it but no that that's exactly what we're trying to do though is we're trying to determine who is better? Who is ranked ahead of this guy at a positional level? And then you do the positions, you do the regions, then you do the positions, then you got to throw all these guys into a spreadsheet and try to do it nationally. So I might have a guy who's the number one most dominant player in the state of Oregon, but if he's in Washington, he's probably not as good. If he's in L.A., he may not be as good. Or he's so dominant, he would be dominant in whatever city or state he plays in. It's determining that when you watch his film watch what he's doing. That's where the national showcases really help, but there's so many avenues of ability for evaluation, whether it's seven-on-seven tournaments, whether it's All-American Combine, whether it's the opening regionals, the opening finals, Under Armour camps, college showcases, college camps, seven-on-seven tournaments, then you get to the season, then you have the postseason All-Star games like the All-American Bowl in San Antonio, Under Armour in Orlando, Polynesian Bowl in Hawaii, the Alabama-Mississippi game, the Carolina Shrine Bowl. There's so many opportunities to watch these guys against each other then you have the film, you have the huddle. So there's in-person evaluations, there's film evaluations, but it all starts at the local level. We have guys 
in every region of the country, and we have sub-regional guys, you know, for out west. You've got myself, you've got Greg Biggins, and you got Blair Angulo. And we pretty much cover from, you know, Colorado, Utah, all the way west out to Samoa and Tonga. Um, we have British Columbia in there. You have Alberta. You have Alaska. You've got, you know, the occasional kids from, uh, you know, from Guam. I mean, you have Mexico, plus all the, the continental United States uh, states that are in there as well. And we're trying to do it at a sub-regional level, then at a regional level, and then putting those up nationally. And then there's the five-member rankings council that we literally have a, a running text message conversation uh, of, you know, hey, here's this kid I saw. Here's this film from the other night. We have weekly conference calls. We have sometimes four or five hour calls in a rankings week, three times a week before we even get to, you know, the top 50. And we're literally breaking down every player. We're all watching them separately. We're all watching them individually. We're doing our own five stars. And then we're trying to, you know, put this list together. And, you know, we take the biases out. Like, I don't care what school you're going to. I root for me. I root for who I ranked high, not for whatever school they're going to. I don't care what school they go to as long as they're good when they get to that school. And, you know, I'm well past the point where I'm caring about the name on, on the, the front of the jersey. It's the name on the back of the jersey that I'm rooting for. Like, hey, we ranked you high. Do good in college. Hey, we didn't rank you high. I hope you get your degree and you, you, you kind of live up to the expectation that we didn't have for you. I mean, it, it's nothing personal. It's business. But it's all that to say that we do a very, very deep dive. We're not just throwing numbers because we want to be right. It's no different than the NFL draft where general managers, vice presidents, player personnel guys want to be right. And they go on and on and on. And they spend an entire year, sometimes two years, looking at these class. By the time the final rankings are coming on, you know, some of these kids you've been literally evaluating and rating for four years. So there's a long process. They're not just throwing numbers up. You know, the whole, well, if he goes to a blue blood program, he moves up. That's such crap. You know, 10 years ago, Clemson wasn't a blue blood program. They were recruiting well. You know, there's a lot of programs that have recruited well that aren't blue bloods. There's a lot of blue blood programs that aren't recruiting well. There's a there's a school in the Pac-12 that's the conference blue blood. Their recruiting effort was terrible. That dispels the whole myth. Well, if you go to a blue blood, you automatically move up. I mean, that school signed maybe three, four stars total. You know, just because you're at a blue blood doesn't mean you can recruit, doesn't mean you can evaluate, doesn't mean you can develop. And there's plenty of schools that aren't what you would consider a blue blood that have highly rated players. You know, now the other side of it is, well, yeah, Alabama, Ohio State seem to collect the most elite players but it's funny because those are the teams that consistently are playing for conference championships or national championships so there is a correlation in the higher rank your classes are that the better chance you have of making it to the playoffs because you know those are good it, it just always makes me laugh when Nick Saban wins a championship everybody says well he's only winning because he's always got the good recruits but then he gets the good recruits well they're only getting rated high because they're going to Alabama so which is it you know people can't keep their arguments consistent at the end of the day good players are going and becoming great players in college and great players with a lot of them on the same team a lot of times are winning championships number one and number two player in the country jt to him Corey foreman both highest rated in the class by the uh, scout 24 uh, excuse me 24 7 <laughs> uh panel but uh both rated as a 99 um was jt a clear cut was it unanimous or is it really close 
You know, it's it's still unanimous, but it's getting closer than it's ever been. The, the one thing that JT had in his favor is he had another fantastic season. Corey Foreman missed part of the year uh, with a with an injury. Corey Foreman moved into that number two slot behind JT after he was the uh, defensive line MVP at the opening finals. I think he was one of two underclass linemen there, and he was the best D lineman there. That included Brian Rossi, who was our number one player. That included you know several other elite top end twenty twenty guys and Corey. Foreman was the MVP. He moves up to the number two spot, poised, playing at Corona Centennial, a great program in Southern California. They opened up with Modern Day. They played a great schedule. He had a chance to move into that number one role, but didn't do enough this season to rest that away. Meanwhile, JT dominated everybody he played and then added in the tight end aspect of it this year when DJ Rogers was hurt in the playoff run and won the state championship with a one-handed catch as a tight end. You could say it was a catch. You could say it wasn't a catch. Whatever it was, you had a 250, 260-pounder rumbling down the field and pulling in a catch that was ruled a touchdown to win a state championship and you add that dimension and he holds on to it but it's not a done deal by any sense of the word you know we'll see what happens at the opening regionals the opening finals does JT even go when he's still playing for Seattle Rotary during the offseason then we get a chance to see both of them at the All-American Bowl in January they're going up against the same offensive lineman that week in practice and in the game so this is going to be very similar to DJ Luangalele and Bryce Young going back and forth last year uh, the difference is Bryce was not even in the top 50 going into the summer, and then he continued to trend upwards. DJ had always been a top five, top 10 guy. That's how JT, he's been our number one guy from the beginning. Can he go wire to wire, or will Corey Foreman make that much closer, or will it be somebody else? But at least he got two guys playing the same position and that they'll be at several events playing against like-minded competition, and we'll get to see you know, kind of who separates the two of them. Another player uh, in state who cracked the top 10 nationwide, Emeka Ugbuka out of Stillicum High School down in uh, Tacoma area. Some say he's a wide receiver. Some say he's a defensive player. Uh, what makes Emeka uh, special? And where do you expect him to wind up position-wise? So what makes him special, he's just a phenomenal football player. Whether he's playing receiver, whether he's returning kicks or punts, whether he's playing safety, you just see a guy who's electric. He's always around the ball when he's on the defensive side of the ball. He's got tremendous ball skills. My player comp for him is Juju Smith. And at the same stage in their high school careers, Emeka is a better prospect. Emeka was a faster prospect. And at this point, I still was convinced Juju was a safety. I mean, we had him at scout, ranked as the number two safety in the country. And he ultimately played receiver at USC. And it worked out well for him. Ameko, he wants to play receiver, and that's what I think he ends up playing in college. But when he's got the ball in the hands, he is dom- the ball in his hands. He is dominant. He was the national player of the year by Max Preps, national junior of the year by Max Preps, the Gatorade State Player of the Year. Uh, you know, he set every imaginable record he could at Silicon. Took him to the, their first ever state championship game this year, and it wasn't just as a receiver; it was as a return man. It was as a defensive back. I went to a game where there was a, a lightning storm in the middle of the game, and after the lightning storm, he has a punt return for a touchdown. He has a couple touchdown receptions. He had key interceptions at various points during the state playoffs that you know help them make that run it's just whenever he's on the field and near the ball something special is going to happen he does it at 6'1 6'2 190 pounds and by the way ran a 4'4'2 laser time 40 at the all-american combine as a sophomore and in that next day if people say that oh coaches don't care about what you do at camps or anything it's amazing how once word got out about his 40 he added about a dozen offers in the next 10 days Sam Heward is the 17th ranked player in the country, number one pro-style quarterback rated in the country. 
we've been seeing this kid since he was just a scrawny little dorky kid. And now he's kind of bulking up again. He's still kind of a dorky little kid. But uh, tell people about just Sam Heward. He's just, when you talk to him, when you see him, he's just different. And, and, you know, in this day and age of instant gratification, in this day and age of people gassing up other recruits on Twitter, if, you know, he's committed to your school and people get more butthurt when a kid doesn't get rated as high than the kid does in a lot of cases, that's the case with Sam. Sam didn't even care that that he dropped in the rankings, you know, and we, I, we talked about it. And he said, hey, Caleb Williams has great film. Uh, you know, he's a good quarterback. You know, they're going to play against each other in the All-American Bowl. That's the kind of kid he is. There were other kids that were tweeting yesterday, I'm not doing any interviews with 24-7 because they dropped in the rankings. And they dropped from like 15th to like 20th. We have other guys that didn't play their junior year and were complaining that they dropped because they were hurt so they couldn't show how much better they were when they didn't play. No more interviews. Sam, first thing he does when he comes over at FSP last night, comes over, says, what's up to me? Walks up to my son, says, what's up to Cade? They start talking. You know, he's basically saying, hey, watch these guys on my team. Hey, watch this freshman receiver. Doesn't even bother him. It doesn't phase him. And that's just the kind of kid he is where he doesn't care about the rankings. He doesn't care about, you know, where these guys are rated ahead of him or behind him he just wants to play football and he's such a good leader such a you know just a a steely cool calm and collected kid that just loves to play the game of football and even watching last night i think he vertically jumped 35 inches and then he's like hey maybe i should go run my 40 or do the shuttle here to see if i could be a dual threat you know i mean he just has that kind of sense of humor where it you know little things don't phase him and then you look at what he does on the field and i mean aside from you know the fact that he has been a three-year starter and has started every game at Kennedy. You know, he so he's got the big numbers. He's gotten better each year. His freshman year, he said he threw an interception in every single game of the season. He still has thrown, you know, he threw 11 interceptions this year. He, he'll he be the first one to tell you, I still have a lot of interceptions. But you look at the touchdown-to-pick ratio. It's like 56 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. You throw the ball as much as they do at Kennedy Catholic, you're going to have some interceptions. But what you're seeing him improve is his decision making, his reads, the 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 way he goes through his progressions. Where his freshman year it might have been, where's Jabez tonight? Where's Junior Alexander? That's all I'm throwing to. Now it's diversifying the offense. It's four or five different weapons he's trying to find. He's spreading the ball around the field. So you're seeing him continue to mature mentally as a quarterback while also starting to fill out from that scrawny kid that you you, you saw three years ago to now being a Pretty well put together, uh, bulky six two six three ish quarterback. Brandon, he you you know he's boxing, you know, and he was telling me about his boxing because he got Savelle to go up and box with him. Did you and hear what he? Did you hear what he told me? I just heard that there was somebody else he was talking about, you know, trying to bring into the ring too. He said he's going to try to bring JT to him, allow in. Might be a little bit on the ambitious side of things. He's going to face in the first couple of games of the season. Why? Might as well just get it out of the system now, I guess. Exactly. If you deliver the knockout blow now, maybe he won't. Be, you know, he can't get sacked by him if you knock him out and he can't play in a couple months. Special kid. He's he's always fun to talk to. He's always mm-hmm. fun. So, uh, Julian Simon. Uh, people went above him, dropped a little bit. Uh, what's going on with Julian Simon? Out of he's out of Lincoln, isn't he? Down out of Lincoln. Yeah, I, I think, you know, in Julian's case, he had a good junior season, not a great G- junior season. 
Um, you know, it was one of those where, you know, he's he's a solid player. He could play on both sides of the ball. I think we're starting to really see him focus in on as, as a linebacker. You know, in his heart, he still wants to play offense. He's got a couple schools still recruiting him for offense. Some as a receiver, some as a running back. I, I think, you know, we still have him listed as an athlete, but I, I'm more and more beginning to see him as a linebacker. Um, and, and I think that's what he'll play at the next level. And I think the majority of schools think the same thing. Uh, and, and, you know, his senior year or his junior year was solid. I wouldn't say it was super spectacular. You know, he didn't take over games like JT did, like Emeka did, like Sam Hewer did. Um, you know, he was solid. I, but, you know, when I went and saw Lincoln play a couple games, I thought Jalen Clark, who was a 2020 kid on that team, was their best player in those games. And, and Julian just didn't quite take over like I saw him do as a sophomore. It wasn't that I think he, you know, he got complacent. I just think that the way he's utilized isn't as conducive to him really being super spectacular. There's a lot of diversity in the in the Lincoln offense. They run the ball, they throw the ball, they spread the ball around. So there, it wasn't like he was the focal point of the offense. Caden Filer, their their quarterback, did a good job of really spreading the ball around. And then defensively, you have you know one DB and Jalen Clark who's really good. You got Donovan Clark, the other DB who's going to Boise State. So you know there's a lot of talent on that team, and you know he he had a good season, but I, I think he's a guy that you know will continue to work his way back up he'll be in the all-american bowl we'll see him on the seven on seven circuit and like jt he plays a lot of hoops himself as well for lincoln so he'll be missing events because lincoln's in the state playoffs because he does some aau so you know julian you know still top 100 but did come down a little bit but stays as the number four player in the state of washington one of the fastest risers on the board is the kid that I know you like a lot out of O'Day, offensive lineman, projected as a guard, Owen Prentice, all the way up to 119. Huge fan of Owen Prentice. In fact, I remember when we first did the the feature article on the 2021 class when they were freshmen. You know, he was the one name that people weren't as familiar with because he's a lineman. You know, who who wants to know lineman? But to give him context, he was starting as a freshman on O'Day State Championship offensive line, and he's gotten bigger, better, and stronger each and every year since. I think he's the number one lineman in the Northwest, and, I, and I've actually thought for the last two years he's been the number one lineman in the region. I mean, you you watch. Watch what he's done against Eastside Catholic, against some of the teams that O'Day has lined up against in the season, in the state playoffs, and he's steamrolling guys. And he's playing just about every snap on defense, too. Uh, not a lot of rest there, uh, but a guy that's just like, you talk about that pure punishing offensive guard. Uh, he, he reminds me a lot of David DeCastro in that sense that, you know, he's not as nuts as David DeCastro was in high school, where DeCastro literally would try to kill guys on the field. You know, Owen Prentice is a little bit more subdued, but he's a rugby player. He's got a rugby background so he's used to physicality he's used to, to getting out there and, and being physical but you watch him on the field and Prentice is just steamrolling guys left and right at guard you know it's not like he's a tackle this is a guy who's you know 6'2 6'3 ish about 275 280 ish and you know he's in great shape because of the rugby background uh, but a guy that I think will be a true interior lineman at the next level and be pretty damn good at it Another guy vaulting into the top 247, Clay Millen. He is the youngest son, a former quarterback and radio personality on Sports Radio 950 KGR, Hugh Millen. But uh, Clay Millen makes his debut as a pro-style quarterback at number 189. You know, it, it was a risky proposition when we moved Clay to a four-star last offseason, despite him never having started a varsity football game. And, you know, in his in defense of him and in fairness to him, he was backing up a Pac-12 player who he also had to share the same last name and house with. It's it's bad enough when you're the youngest and, you know, you, your brother's getting all the press clippings. It's even worse when he's taking the job that you want. 
and you have to wait your turn. But every event we saw Clay at, he would be phenomenal at. So I put early four stars on him and just with kind of the hope that he was going to get to college and, you know, be a better player than Kale. But I was also, I put him on the, before he ever started a game because I thought his last two years of high school, he would be better than Kale. And after Kale graduated, they, they, Mount Sy suffered a lot of losses to graduation. So what does Clay do? He goes out, throws 35 touchdown passes, throws one interception and takes a depleted roster to the Washington State 4A semifinals. I went to their quarterfinal game when they beat Lake Stevens, who many people thought should have been the number one overall seed. And, you know, you, you watch Mount Sy and the fact that they were even in the state playoffs was impressive. The fact they got to the semis was even more impressive. He doesn't have a lot of big weapons like Kale did. He's basically improvising a lot. And, you know, 35 touchdowns to one interception, that's impressive. I went to one game against Skyline where it was a driving rainstorm the entire night. And, you know, and, and I think Clay threw five touchdown passes in the first half. And there were three or four times he's rolling out of the pocket. He's got nowhere to go. He eludes the, the defender in a wet surface, cuts, and then just throws the ball right to a receiver open in the end zone. He's got this this gunslinger mentality too and kind of has this like, you know, F it, watch what I can do mentality that a lot of younger brothers seem to have. And, and I think that, you know, this season, man, he made me look really smart by putting those early four stars on him when you look at what he did without really elite playmakers around him. Junior Alexander makes his debut at number 207, his teammate. And I call him Jabez or is it Jabez or Jabez? Or you can just call him Bez like everybody else calls him. That way you don't have to worry about the first uh, first syllable. But I think those two are going to be talked to in the same sentence quite a bit. So tell people the, the wide receivers that Sam, uh, Sam Hewitt throws to up at Kennedy. Tell people a little bit about those two guys. So I, I, it's kind of a crazy hot take, but I've said this for two years. I mean, Sheldon Cross, their head coach, is my witness. I've said it since I saw them both as freshmen. You know, on Friday nights at that point, give me Jabez. And on Saturdays and Sundays, give me Junior. I've always felt Junior had more upside physically than Jabez. Bez always had, you know, he was more polished as a freshman. He was more polished as a sophomore. Uh, then he suffered a lacerated spleen down at the Adidas Nationals tournament last spring. And he was a little bit slow to recover, so he didn't put up big numbers this year where he had been Sam Heward's main target their first two seasons. That allowed Junior to really come into the guy as, you know, as the guy. He had 25 touchdown receptions from Sam Heward. He's 6'2", 6'3", runs about a 4'6'40". He's long, he's athletic, he gets great separation, whereas Jabez is a little bit more of a crafty technician. You know, Junior's got a little bit more of that big playability, and he's bigger, and he's a little bit on the faster side, and he's, you know, uh, got more physical upside. So that's what Junior moved ahead of Bez. As, you know, their production between the both of them, I think they both have had over 35, 40 career touchdowns apiece. You know, both have been in that 3,000 yard range for their career, and they've definitely helped the maturation process of Sam Hero. But, you know, keep in mind, when Sam Hero was putting up big numbers as a freshman, he too was throwing to freshman receivers. So as those guys have improved, as Sam's improved, you now get that Kennedy offense to the point where it's at now. And their senior year, I mean, they, they Sam Hewitt should rewrite every record in the book that was passing and uh, related in the state of Washington, largely because of his receivers. But this isn't like a situation when Max Brown was a sophomore and he's got a senior case in Williams to throw to. I mean, Sam had to mature with his receivers having to mature, having to learn how to run routes the proper way, having to learn how to get bigger and stronger and faster. So that's what's been the most impressive part about all four of those guys, or all three of those guys, is that they've all improved separately, but then they've done it at the benefit of their team together. 
One of the guys who's dropped out of the top two, four, seven people are going to ask about what's going on with Will Latu out of, uh, he's out of Bethel, correct? Mm-hmm. Out of Bethel, yeah. I, with Will, there's still a lot of questions. What position is he going to play? You know, he's put on some weight. He's not as explosive and dynamic as he was as a freshman. Uh, you know, he he ran the ball a lot more this year, but I wouldn't say he's a running back by any sense of the word. You know, he's he's a linebacker, but he's you know there's some questions about his quickness, about his speed. You know, with his body getting a little bit bigger um, and not necessarily all great weight. You know, it, it, the question is, what is he going to play? We have him listed as an athlete, but is he a linebacker? Is he a safety? Does he want to play running back where he's been starting to see the ball a lot more? Um, we'll get to see him a lot this offseason on the seven on seven circuit, but right now it's still kind of a wait and see because he's kind of come down to the pack a little bit more uh, over the last couple of years, mostly because of questions of what is he and what can he play at a high level? Is he a jack-of-all-trades, master of none? Or does he finally emerge at one position and really lock that position down? So uh, a guy that you know could play his way back into the top 247, uh, but definitely has some questions to answer in terms of you know what direction his body is going to go and what position he's ultimately going to lock in at. The 2020-2021 class, we've known that those were going to be outstanding years in the state of Washington for a long, long time. We're, you know, This is the 21 class, but there's some guys, maybe give people uh, an idea of some guys that may not be household names, but uh, by the time this recruiting class is over, they're going to know who these guys in the next couple of years, because there's some really good young talent coming up in the state. Absolutely. You know, one that made it into the four-star range towards the back end is Jure Williams, who's a linebacker out of Kennedy Catholic as well. And, you know, he was overshadowed defensively, you know, playing on the same defense as Savelle Smalls. And he's been known more as a hooper growing up, or largely because his dad was a hooper, former Rainier Beach and Louisville star Terrence Williams, who was a lottery pick 10 years ago. Uh, so Jure, 6'3", 6'4", 195, 200 pounds, uh, a guy that I think has got a lot of upside as he learns to continue to improve as a football player, but the athleticism is there. Josh McCarron out of Archbishop Murphy. He's got a, a trio of Pac-12 offers. Uh, Coley Fayou, who we saw bench press 35 times last night, 225 pounds. He's an interior lineman uh, up at North Creek, plays for uh, the former Corey English, uh, who's the offensive line coach, whatever Corey's last name is now. Wait, 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 wait. He benched 225 how many times? 35 times. You know, you and I like to call our morning warm-up. You know, that's and what how Coley did. Is- and how old is he? Going into his senior year. So pretty impressive uh, as an interior guy. Um, you got Jacob Schuster down at Tumwater. Got a couple of Mountain West offers. I think his height might be what slows down a lot of top-end schools coming at him, but he was fantastic for Tumwater State Championship. DJ Fryer, a- another guy who had to sit out the first five games after he moved um, from Washington High School in Tacoma to Stillicum, but then played a major role in their run to the state championship game. Uh, and then William Reed, an offensive lineman at Eastside Cal. Catholic. He's got a double-digit offers, some Ivy League offers, some Pac-12 offers, ACC and Big Ten. Uh, so that, that second tier of player in the state of Washington is really good as well. How about the 22, 23, 24 classes? Any young superstars we get? We need to keep an eye on coming up? Yeah, I think Josh Connerly is probably my my pick now to be the top player in the state of Washington for the 22 class. You know, He was a, a guy that I remember going to Rainier Beach, gosh, a month before his freshman year started and uh, Nate Kalepo, who's now at Washington said, Huff, this is going to be the next superstar at this school. Ended up seeing him play against Jason Harris this last season. Uh, who's at going to Colorado four star defensive end and Connor Lee 
won that battle. So he'll end up being the number one player in the state in that 22 class. Uh, Deshaun Misa, linebacker at Eastside Catholic. Uh, he right now is the highest ranked player from the state. There's a couple other offensive linemen in the 2022 class. Four top offensive linemen, top 300 type in the state between Connerly, uh, Dave Uli at Puyallup High School, Malik Ogbo at Todd Beamer High School, and then uh, Vega Ione at Graham Kapowson. Uh, you've also got Chance Bogan, who's a, a, a tight end, H-back, receiver, kind of can play a number of positions. Uh, similar body type to Hunter Bryant at the same stage. He's at Wilson High School in Tacoma. Uh, I believe his dad played at Washington back in the day as well. Was that Curtis um, Bogan? I think I think that's who it is. Yeah. So uh, Rent, Renton High School, and I think he lasted a year. <laughs> yeah. Well, chance chances upside is a little bit bigger. He's got an offer from Colorado. Got a uh, I think Oregon State could be close to offering him. So he's another name uh, to to keep an eye on. Then Jalen Green, who was at Rainier Beach, transferred to Kentwood High School this year. Just got his first Pac-12 offer this week from Oregon State. Uh, so again, I think this 2020 to 2022 three-year crop is as good as a one-two-three punch that the state has seen at least in the 15 years I've lived up here uh, but it's not just elite top end talent it's depth but then you have that elite top end talent that's making so many programs from around the country fly to Seattle to see these guys anything else you need to add Brandon before we wrap this up I don't hate your favorite team I know people think that but uh, that whole bagman thing, the, the blue buds, we, you know, once the bag gets dropped off, it's actually Visa check cards. That's, that's apparently the, the way to go these days is, you know, we're a, it's a cashless generation. In the old days, I, it was I'm, the M- MCI long distance cards, Brandon. Yeah, now it's the, the Visa check cards because everything's cashless. I just heard, you know, my son's going to the, a Dragons game on Saturday with his, with his baseball team. And we got an email from the coaches saying, hey, by the way, CenturyLink is now cashless. It's a cashless generation. So Visa check cards are the way to go. There's no more bag, man. It's more like envelope, man. <laughs> Brandon, it's always great to talk to you. Always good to see you. Uh, just give people, before we wrap it up, uh, you, you heading down to Vegas for the Pylon Tournament this weekend? Yeah, head down this weekend. My 13th year going down there. Uh, get to see the defending champs. It was a local team, FSP. They won it all last year. First time a Washington team has ever won it. So they'll go down to defend their crown. Some teams from uh, Michigan will be there. You got teams from Illinois, Texas, Florida. Uh, but FSP has added a couple of nice pieces to the puzzle outside of the state of Washington. Uh, Air, which was in the battle tournament down there last week with the Mech Buka, will also be there. So a lot of good talent to see. There is no more offseason anymore in this job. You get to hang out with Greg Biggins, though. Hey, and that right there is worth going to Vegas during a heavyweight fight weekend and staying across the street from the MGM. So it was great planning on our part to stay right across the street from the MGM the night of a heavyweight fight. (laughs) You know how crazy that's going to be. Tyson Fury and uh, Deontay Wilder fighting at the MGM Grand, and you're staying across the street. Yeah. don't, Don't get shot. Well, and that was the first thing I thought. I was like, man, this is what, you know, if I remember right, this is how Tupac got shot. But I also, you know, remember that we'll be driving back from beautiful Mesquite, Nevada with the last games ending at eight o'clock. By the time we get back, the fight might already be over. People have no idea when it's big fight night in Vegas. Yeah, that's just a whole different animal of Las Vegas. It's crazy. I was watching ESPN last night, and you know they have their live stage set up inside the MGM. I mean that this is a big fight. It's been what the last time a heavyweight fight before the last one between these two guys that was rated as high and had as many pay per view bouts was Lennox Lewis, Mike Tyson, eighteen years ago. I mean this is and because the last fight was a draw. 
I can only imagine what the animosity in that ring is going to be like. So it, I'm definitely pulling for Wilder in that. And Greg and I got a while here. We said, let's look on StubHub and see how much tickets are. We should go. And then how we much? looked at StubHub. How much like, the cheapest we could find was like up in the rafters. I think you were like literally, you know, behind a speaker. It was five seventy five for one ticket. And I'm like, you know what? We can just watch it on Twitter or, you know, yeah. go into a sports book and maybe Brandon, watch it that way. Yes. Brandon, just grab one of the Visa cards out of the out of the bag. I'm just waiting for my bag man to make his weekly drop. <laughs> now that the rankings have been released, it's it's bag drop day. All right. Brandon, you're the best. We appreciate it. Thanks, Kim. All right. Hey, for all of us at dogman.com and 24-7 Sports, I'm Kim Grenolds along with Brandon Huffman. Thanks for listening.